first of all, to heal you. So you've got to be healed with your, your diet and your movement program. And then from there, you can focus on, okay, well, now what do I want my body to do? What do I want to do with this life? Do I want to travel? And so what kind of health do I need and physicality do I need to support that? Because if you cannot move, I promise you, your quality of life will decrease dramatically. It does not matter how much money you have. And it, you, if you cannot move, you're going to be immobile. Your quality of life will suffer. Because Hi, everyone. Nicolette Richet here, and I am the host of the Eat Real to Heal podcast. And on today's show, I am beyond thrilled to have Andrew Munawira on our show today. Andrew and I were at the Orthomolecular Health Conference in Vancouver, and this is a conference that happens once a year. It's been going on for decades. It's an incredible conference. If anyone doesn't know what orthomolecular nutrition is or, or orthomolecular health, it is the scientific study of how nutrients move in and out of our cells through our body and how our body utilizes those nutrients, those minerals, those vitamins, amino acids, enzymes, and so on to keep our bodies healthy. So I happened to put my plate down next to Andrew at the conference at lunchtime, and it was a match made in heaven. Love this guy. We instantly connected about the natural healing power of the human body, the fact that our body can regenerate and heal itself. So Andrew is a medical sales professional with 25 years of experience working with integrated physicians, pharmacists and natural channel retailers. Andrew was the founding board member of the Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine. There's only two universities in all of Canada that where you can go if you want to study to become a naturopathic doctor. And Andrew was on the founding board member of that school, which is located in New Westminster, British Columbia. Now, in addition, he established med um, several medical divisions um, for two multinational nutraceutical companies. So Andrew knows the world of vitamins, of minerals, of supplements. And he also consulted in the development of naturopathic formula formulations as well. So he has a whole host of insight into not only the development of these products, but also into the sales side of it as well, because he was also um, out there promoting these products. So he knows those interactions that take place every single day within the medical world, not just for naturopaths, but also for medical doctors as well. Now, Andrew believes that a high-performance dispensary needs high-performance products, and I believe that too. We believe in the purest, safest, highest quality nutrients, and so does Andrew. Potency also plays a role there. So with that information that Andrew has, he has seen over and over and over again how physicians can deliver consistent and superior patient outcomes with um, with the right products. So it's really important to know what you're taking. And in this episode, we dive into the world of nutraceuticals, but we also dive into much more. But before we get into that, I want to let you know that we have an upcoming retreat at our Nutrition and Detox Wellness Center in Pemberton, British Columbia. So get onto our website at richerhealthretreatcenter.com 
and see our list of retreats that we have coming out. We will have our new schedule coming out for 2020 soon. There may be, I believe there's a seat available at our next retreat in October. Um, so please sign up, get yourself there where we're gonna teach you the art and science of reversing chronic degenerative disease. Also, if you can't make it to the retreat, get a copy of our book. My book just came out last year. Number one bestseller on Amazon in multiple different health categories. Eat Real to Heal. Get your copy so that you can learn how to use food as medicine to reverse chronic degenerative diseases of all kinds. Another thing I want to chat about, we have a Hollyhock retreat coming out next year in June. Um, the date should be on our website. Um, so get onto our website to um, find that out, nicolettereshay.com. We had an incredible retreat with the most amazing people at our last retreat this past May, and we're gonna be there again next year in June with our Eat Real to Heal program. Lastly, we are thrilled to announce that we have a new corporate plant-powered for peak performance program that's gonna be coming out for corporations with employees of 50 or more people. So please sign up for our newsletter so you can be the first to learn about that because we're gonna be taking this program to market so that we can crack the chronic disease epidemic, put an end to it, and we're gonna be showing corporations how to do that with their employees so that they can get the most out of their employees who are working for them because they won't be missing sick days, sick time, uh, productivity to low energy fatigue um, and everything else that com companies having a chronic degenerative disease so back to this episode with Andrew we discuss so much about what that was like being one of the founding board members of a naturopathic Institute we also dive into understanding Andrew's own personal battle with health um, and being unhealthy and what that looked like for him to turn his health around. So this podcast is peppered with unlimited amounts of tips and habits and lifestyle changes that anyone at any age can make if they want to reverse their chronic degenerative diseases. And Andrew talks about his own incredible healing hero story that is sure to inspire you to make the changes so you can turn your health around and reclaim your life and achieve all of those goals and dreams that you've ever wanted for yourself, for your loved ones, for your neighbors, for your friends, and for your community. So enjoy this podcast. Please share it with others. Um, hopefully there's something, a takeaway in there that is just so invaluable that it really motivates you and inspires you to reclaim your health using food as medicine. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. Have a great day. Welcome to the show, Andrew. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. So one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on to the show is, I mean, we just met, so we actually don't even know each other other than an amazing conversation we had at lunch at the Orthomolecular Medical uh, Conference that we were at a few weeks ago in Vancouver, which was... Yeah, it was surprising, actually, how wonderful the conversation was. We were talking about so many things, oil yeah, and nutrition and uh, Gerson therapy, so it was wonderful. 
Yeah. And it was funny because when I was at the conference, you know, you, you go to a conference, you don't know a ton of people. And then all of a sudden it's lunchtime and I was scanning the room and I was like, who do I get to sit by today? What am I going to learn? Um, and of course I sat beside you and I love that our conversation just, um, took off. So it was so exciting to uh, sit next to you. And of course, we just got right into it, chatting about nutrition and health and the fact that you come up to Whistler almost every weekend, you knew about the Gerson therapy, you knew people who've done the Gerson therapy. So it's kind of like, you know, we hit it out of the park there at that conference. Um, But one of the things I want to jump into, which I actually didn't know about you, um, because originally I wanted to bring you onto the podcast to really talk about flax oil, because flax oil is the one and only oil that is allowed on the Gerson therapy. So we're going to get into that in a little bit. But as I was doing more research um, about you, you have a very interesting past as well. So check the past. (laughs) checkered fast. That's okay. We all do. We all do. Um, What I'm really interested in is how you ended up being one of the founding board members of the Boucher um, Naturopathic um, Medical Institute. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine, actually, I think. Well, uh, I knew knew one of the uh, naturopathic doctors who actually was a friend of mine, and he said hey do you want to help start this school off and i was like okay well what do you need to do oh we needed to meet at the back of finlandia uh once a month and that's what we did and it it, you know for the longest time it didn't seem like anything was happening and uh we had i think 10 or 12 people who would meet on a regular basis and i must say you know i think everybody contributed um to the program and then we had board members that rotated out and other ones rotated in and you know it just got got built over a period of two three years um so and and sometimes i didn't think anything was happening frankly but it did well of course and now it's one of what two naturopathic colleges in canada or is it just the one that we have well we have two we have the canadian college of naturopathic medicine and then boucher and then in the states they have a couple they have best year and then they have a national college of naturopathic medicine and um at bridgeport and arizona as well right so in canada though we only have two so we have the one in toronto and then we have is it in toronto ontario yeah yeah, yeah. It is. and and then we have the one in u.s minister which is fantastic um so i love how you just say you know what i didn't feel like nothing was happening and now we have one of two like you were the founding board member of one of two of the only naturopathic institutes in canada which is actually a really big deal and what i love about this story is that sometimes when we feel like we're not really doing much we're just getting together and meeting in the back of finlandia and finlandia just so anybody who's listening because i know we have listeners all over the world and in fact we have tons of listeners from australia um so if you're hearing this and you want to go to naturopathic school in canada pay attention to this podcast um but one of the things that i find interesting is like finlandia first of all is a um what would you call it so a local pharmacy for health and wellness and nutraceuticals and supplements? Well, I, I think in, in Canada, it was one of the first integrative uh, pharmacies and it kind of pioneered the, that model of, you know, selling nutrition along with pharmaceuticals in a retail setting. And I worked there actually in 1991. <laughs> wow. The, in the front store. So Finlandia has been 
you know, a part of my, my past and it still is, you know, a, a, a client of mine right now for projects that I do. Uh, and it's, it's a great place. I mean, it was fitting that it actually, we started off there. Yeah. Very, very fitting. I love knowing that. Um, and what were those meetings like where you, you know, when you were getting together and you're like, Hey, let's start a school and you know, how did those conversations go? Well, I think there were, you know, the, the interesting thing was there was a lot of organizing and, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, something that I was really strong in. So I basically just sat around and, and watched as it unfolded. There was a, a lot of really professional people there. There was um, naturopathic doctors, there were administrators and they set the structure. Um, so I think there were probably a lot of people who did a lot more than me. Um, I mean, I did some things, but I, it was great to watch it unfold. And it, it was a real testament to, hey, you know what, things like this take community and it takes a vision and it takes time. So it's not like, you know, here today, uh, not here today and then next month you're gonna have a school. No, it requires a lot of organization and, and also, you know, pulling the, the financing together to get stuff like this done. I don't know how that happened. So I wasn't privy to everything, but I, do, I, I was there in those meetings over a period of time and eventually, you know, the school graduated its first class, which was really exciting. Amazing. How many students were in the first class? Do you remember? You know, if memory serves me correct, I think there were 35 or 36. That is huge. That is huge. Yeah. I mean, to start a school of any kind is such a massive, massive endeavor because, you know, we're in a world where I think we take for granted that just schools exist, like they've been there forever and they forget that somebody had to come together and create them. And our kids are at the Waldorf School in Whistler. And I love the story because of how it was created more than anything, because it was really three moms who came together. They had five kids between them. And they said, you know what, we just are not okay with the fact that we only have these public education systems in Whistler. We want something different for our children. We want a different learning environment. And so they started off in the basement of a house and then eventually grew to, I think they moved into a church and that, cause it was what was available. And then, you know, they got a portable on um, some government land. And now it's been 20 years later and they have about 250 kids that, you know, attend the school. Um, annually and it's just grown and grown and when my husband started teaching there he left public education teaching there and then moved over to Waldorf and you know there was about 77 kids at the time and then within a few years it jumped up to like 200 then 250 and so it for me I, I hear the conversations on the playground I mean not that there's a playground at the Boucher Institute or maybe there should be but you know, what the story that I find the most fascinating is how people come together with a vision to create something that is needed in the world. And that's really, really powerful. Um, and I think you should be proud of that. Even if you are very humble and say, you know, there was other people who did way more than you did and you were just, you know, maybe a fly on the wall, which I really don't believe that's true. Um, but even playing any you know, contributing role, whether it's an idea or let's have the meetings in the back of Finlandia or holding space for a meeting like that. I mean, it's monumental in the history of the making of any kind of institution. So um, you should be proud of yourself as well as all the other people who are on that founding board. Well, you know, and the, and the, 
when I knew things were really happening, when the meeting started happening at, um, there was an old firehouse in New Westminster that was going to be the site of the first school. And we used to, you know, when we started meeting in there, I thought, oh my goodness, this thing's really happening. And uh, that was where the school was. It was in an old firehouse. Uh, in, it, it was kind of cool. <laughs> wow. And did, yeah. how did they get a hold of that firehouse? Like, do you know the history? You don't know the history behind that? Oh, it's it just, you know, being in the right place, the right time, the magic of working with people who know how to get things done, really. So I, you know, it was pretty amazing. And, and then, you know, once I wasn't a board member anymore, I still kept coming to the school and I thought, wow, this place is pretty amazing. You know, it's just growing just like a little child, right? Yeah. Yeah. Little by little. Yeah. And now I don't know what to graduate now, but it's pretty big. I mean, the, each, each year, I, I believe there, there are over a hundred might, might be, might even be somewhere higher than that. I'm not really sure, but I go to uh supplier conferences uh twice a year and boy i tell you there's a lot of kids in there a lot of young people a lot of people i know and i am and i started to go down the route that route of applying um to naturopathic school and so to the boucher institute as well so i took my pre-med courses and then i decided to get you know medicine would be the uh, you know allopathic or conventional medicine whatever we want to call it traditional med i don't even know what the right term is to use for Western medicine, but um, just because traditional doesn't seem right, because we have ancient medicines that have been around for you know thousands of years, um, and conventional medicine as we know it, like the MD route, um, is actually not that old. Like it's only a few hundred years old, um, and naturopathic medicine really has been around you know for centuries and centuries as well, um, and all the principles that support it. So I almost thought about going to that school, but you also about going that route as well i did and and you know i made a plan um to to get into school and finish my naturopathic degree and about two years into executing that plan i um after i left retail and i went into working in professional sales selling to naturopaths actually um, and a group of my clients uh, we formed a company and so that's how I got into the back end of the business. And I just kept working for, for different companies, distributors. And uh, in fact, the distributor who used to distribute Walida. And uh, I went, <laughs> so I actually went to Germany. I, I don't think you, that's not on my bio. No. Uh, but I did go to Germany and I, and I visited Walida and Walla and learned about Eurythmy and anthroposophical medicine. It was pretty cool. So I got to do a lot of different things with my uh, affiliation and work with many distributors and manufacturers, right? Oh, that's amazing. And you know, I had no idea that um, Walida, the foundation was anthropo anthroposophical medicine. That's a mouthful, but um, anthroposophical medicine is also what stemmed from Rudolf Steiner, who started the Waldorf School as well, which not a lot of people know. So, um, you know, it's the really, the and maybe explain anthroposophical medicine for people who don't understand what it is. There's lots of great books out there on it, by the way. Well, you know, I, my, my knowledge of it is very sketchy and I probably, I'm sure there's going to be people saying, hey, this guy didn't, didn't <laughs> explain it properly. But from what I understand, anthroposophical medicine is based a lot on nature and rhythms and it uses a lot. It's a much more advanced 
system of healing than say just um, basic homeopathy is. And I, and I don't mean basic as in, as in not um, effective. I mean, it incorporates a lot of different um, modalities in the manufacturing of your remedies and even in, in understanding, you know, which remedy to give people. So uh, I've had a, a long history of working with um, homeopathic companies as well. And so it was really interesting, the anthroposophical medicine philosophy was very similar to spagyrics, um, which was developed by Paracelsus. So these are, these are all very energetic ways of healing. And um, so the interesting thing is I did visit the Waldorf schools and uh, there was a couple in um, Ontario at the time and I would go visit them because the doctors were there, the anthroposophical doctors that used Valida. So I got exposed to a lot of different things back in the 90s and 2000s. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Very. So basically, study of rhythm and nature and, and um, how that applies to um, sort of uh, allowing the innate healing of the body to express itself fully. Exactly. Yeah, that's how I understand it as well, and that it's really the concept of holism and um, totalitarianism uh, or totality is that, you know, you're never just treating one aspect of the individual, you're treating the entire body as a whole, but not just the body, but also the spirit and the mind and the physical body and the soul, like it all goes together. And so if you want to treat somebody well, um, you've got to um, look at everything in its entirety and as well looking at the body in relationship to its environment and nature and the seasons as well. And so, you know, during different seasons, we go through different changes in our own body, just the way nature goes through those um, changes as well. And so, um, you know, one remedy or treatment or, you know, nutrient or supplement that, you know, works well in August might not be the same one that you would use in the spring, you know, so it's looking at everything, which I think one day in maybe a thousand years from now or a hundred years from now, I hope sooner that um, this, you know, concept of medicine will be integrated throughout, I mean, all forms of medicine, which would be incredible. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the greatest powers of any healing system anthroposophical or Ayurveda or naturopathic medicine or Chinese medicine is the awareness it brings to the patient of themselves. Because that's really what people I think need to, at least in, from my perspective, is you really need to connect to yourself mm -hmm. and your body and not be disconnected from it anymore. Yeah. And, right. And get that awareness of, Hey, what's happening to me and you know, what do I want and what do I expect? And, and what are, what are these people who are in my healing community uh, trying to tell me? And, you know, are they, do they have the full picture? How do I feel about it? You know, what questions do I have? You know, really getting engaged and, and um, being a, a co-creator in health, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I love that concept, co-creation. I was just speaking at the, um, it's called the Social Venture Institute through Hollyhock. And we were at Banff Center in Banff, and it was just one of the most incredible events. And um, they really, really went above and beyond. And the whole event was actually um, simultaneously partnered with uh, a, a elders and in, an indigenous facilitator as well. So there was, it was so beautiful because 
um, often we give kudos, you know, I'll say kudos to, you know, we're here on traditional territory and, you know, it's nice to be here. Thank you. And then all of a sudden the event begins, but there's no reference and no learning or education and about indigenous cultures. And, you know, we call that reconciliation to, you know, simply just acknowledge that you're on First Nations land, which to me is not enough. Whereas mm -hmm. at this event at SBI, it was beautiful because there was so much education and learning and, um, integrated throughout all aspects of the event. I mean, it wasn't just that one part. Um, but the reason I bring that up was being in, um, being in Banff at SVI, I mean, so much of what we talked about was this need to integrate, right? So everything needs to be integrated. So the sciences need to be integrated into um, the spirit of it, into like, you know, where does our food come from? Where does our medicine come from? Understanding that and to be able to get to that place where we're doing that co-creation is really um, needs to be so much a part of everything we're doing. So co-creation of our education systems, co-creation of our medical systems, um, co-creation was like really the word that was used throughout that event. And it is such a beautiful word, but how do we co-create in an authentic way that truly is co-creation and not something that is driven by one party who's saying like, this is the way that it needs to be done. So I think it's still something that we need to learn about. Like how do we actually truly co-create um, and co-facilitate and, and all of that. So, um, which brings me to my next question. When, um, so having worked for these, would you call them all nutraceutical companies or what would you call them that you've worked for? Uh, you know, and, and I still work in the industry. So yeah. I've worked for nutraceutical companies. I've worked for probiotic companies. It really depends on, you know, what their product line focuses on or what they manufacture. So I would say nutraceutical industry, natural health industry. Natural health industry. So can we take people, we, I want to take our listeners into what it, behind the scenes of these nutraceutical companies, because so many people are afraid of supplements because they've been told by the medical industry, like don't take supplements, they're dangerous. But if you look at the, um, you know, if you look at the studies that are out there, if you look at the reports that have been filed um, annually for how many deaths, you know, have been caused by nutraceuticals and pharma versus pharmaceuticals, you see a huge discrepancy. Pharmaceuticals, we have hundreds of thousands of people that die from um, overdosing on pharmaceuticals, from being prescribed the wrong meds. Um, meanwhile, in the supplement world, um, we you know, you don't see that. There's virtually like a handful of deaths attributed to um, nutraceuticals, so supplements, where, you know, and often the one that I've seen, and I could be wrong, but looking at the research, it's often kids that are taking their parents' iron supplements by mistake because yeah. too much iron in a kid's body, yes, can be lethal. So, yeah. but for the vast majority of supplements that are out there, so we have all these people that are afraid of supplements and then we also then have people who doubt supplements and nutraceuticals, you know, for their potency and their effectiveness. And then we also have people who just don't know how to take them. Like it's either too little. Um, and, you know, so let's talk a little bit about that because I imagine behind the scenes in the nutraceutical world, when you're mass producing these, you know, and co-creating these supplements, 
does it end up being a little bit like the pharmaceutical world where quality is lost or what has it been like in the companies that you've worked for, if you can bring us behind the scenes? Well, it's a, it's a really good question. I mean, um, back in, you know, I got into the, the nutraceutical, the back end of the business in about 93. And since then the industry just exploded and, and believe it or not, back then the quality control was more scary than, than now. Now it's, it's actually much better. Uh, the reason for that is because Canada actually has one of the, the, the best uh, regulatory systems for natural health products uh, in terms of maintaining safety for Canadians. And so every natural product that uh, is put on the market actually has to have a natural health product number or an NPN number. And if it doesn't meet an NPN number, usually it's categorized as a food. And food is monitored by... Um, a different department than Health Canada. So Health Canada does the natural products and Health Canada does drugs, uh, veterinarian uh, supplements, uh, and uh, another division department. I think it's Agriculture Canada, I believe. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> it's been a while since I've been in the back, uh, in the, in the back end of the, the regulatory side. But, you know, the interesting thing is, is things like flax oil are foods. Mm-hmm. And you don't need a natural product number for them. But if you make a claim on them, then you, you might need to get a natural product number. So it all depends on, you know, what you want to say about the product. But, it, but you know, getting back to quality, every time you put a product out in the market, you have to get a natural product number if it's a nutraceutical. So if it's like a vitamin, mineral product, everything should have an NPN number, which means you have to make an application to Health Canada for your product. And once that's accepted, then you have to do the testing and the, the company that you get to make your product called the contract manufacturer has to uh, provide those tests and do those tests. And then you have to do your own independent tests. So really, if it's got an NPN number on it, you could go to the Health Canada website and you can actually look up what should be in that product. And you can phone the company and said, hey, uh, I know, notice you say you got all this stuff. Um, in your product, can you send me the lab work? I mean, you're well within your rights to, to do that. And most reputable companies w- will send you what you need because it's about safety first, right? Mm-hmm. And vitamin, vitamin, you know, anything can be, can be bad for you. I mean, you can, you can die from drinking too much water. So, exactly. right. I mean, you, you don't have to drown in it. You can just drink too much water and there's, you know, there's, toxicity associated with water so everything in in moderation and and i think that with vitamins there's what we call a therapeutic window so there's a small dose that won't do much there's a high dose that will do uh, will have adverse events and then there's a toxic dose and it depends on what you're talking about um the toxic doses sometimes can be easily achievable so there are a lot of products, for example, like high-dose iron that uh, have to be behind the counter when you walk into a pharmacy. And they do that for a reason, but you can have an iron that's 20, 25 milligrams out on the shelf. Uh, and again, it's, it's all how people use the product. So if you read the labels and you follow the labeling directions, you will be okay. Uh, in terms of effectiveness, there are a lot of studies out proving the efficacy of uh, supplemental nutrients. And I'm, 
going to distinguish between supplemental nutrition and the nutrition you get from food because it is different. How is it different? Well, supplemental foods are just that, a supplement to a diet. They, you can't live on vitamins and minerals from a capsule or a powder uh, alone. And I know there's a, a big uh, push in the industry to, to go to more food forms. And there are some food forms of vitamins and minerals. But still, you can't survive on those by itself. You still need macronutrients, protein, fat, carbohydrate, and energy from your diet. And that's why the diet's always going to be the most important thing to determine your health, as well as uh, how you move. Uh, you know, how, are you sedentary or do you exercise? And then the kind of relationships you have in your life, because that, that's going to de determine your emotional health and your community, right? So all those things, I think, are the foundation. And then the supplements can actually uh, help with, with uh, uh, you know, augmenting that. But a lot of times, what I've seen over the years is people have a problem and they come in when I was working in retail or when I do talks and they're like, oh, I have arthritis, what can I take? And I'm going, oh my God, <laughs> it's not about what you take. It's about, you know, how did you get here in the first place? That's yeah. what you have to unravel. And that's part of the reason why you need a team of you know, health professionals to work with you who have your best interest at heart. And they can help direct you to what supplements you can take. I mean, it's a totally different story if you're young and you don't have any symptoms and you want your intervention. And I think that's where the industry historically um, attracted a lot of people who were into health and prevention because it was all the fringe people, right, that went into health food stores back in the 80s and 90s, right? You wouldn't find a mainstream person going in there. They'd be like, oh, vitamins, what is this junk? So the industry's kind of moved where it's mainstream now. Like you, you, you know, health food stores don't have, aren't the only place that have vitamins. You have vitamins at, uh, you know, Costco. You have vitamins at London Drugs. I mean, you have vitamins at pharmacies. So they're all over the place. Even and naturopathic clinics have vitamins and medical, medical doctors recommend vitamins too. So it's gone mainstream. But the question is, what's good? what information is good and what is not um, in your best interest? You know, what is not accurate? And I remember back when I was a salesman running around selling uh, products to doctors, having one study was like, oh my God, you got a study? It was like an amazing thing because there was no internet. Nobody kept, the only way people kept up to date was by buying magazines and these things, um, this thing called Clinical Pearls was published uh, once a year and and then the guy came out with the newsletter and that's how everybody kept up to date was analog and now we've got too much information you do so the problem so the problem is how do you make sense out of all, out of all this stuff uh, you know i i spent a lot of time uh, working and and uh, having the benefit of of uh, being mentored by uh, udo erasmus who was kind of like the father of flax oil and, you know, he would always tell me, well, Andrew, you know, deers don't have a PhD in nutrition to know what to eat. And neither do bears, right? Like they, mm -hmm. animals have an instinct, which I think humans, a lot of the time we've lost. And they know what to eat and they know what to eat when they're sick. I mean, very, very rarely do you see a deer get poisoned on its own accord, right? No, exactly. 
like it knows what to stay away from. And so do, so do the bears and animals, except when bears go into dumpsters and start eating human food. Well, then you have a problem. But, you know, I'm in Whistler, as, as you and I talked about, you know, uh, two or three times a month, sometimes four. And, you know, it's just amazing to come across and watch animals. Of course, you know, if you come across a bear, you have to be careful. But, you know, even little things like hummingbirds. Yeah. I mean, they, everything has an intelligence, except for us. You know, we walk around like we don't, you know, we need people to tell us what to do. And I think a lot of the empowerment that has to happen is awakening yourself and your own self-care mechanism and saying, hey, you know, does this make sense to me? And if it doesn't make sense to me, where can I find the answers that do from people and resources that have my best interest at heart? That's really, I mean, it's common sense. And it, and it is common sense, but I think we are so far removed from, you know, really saying to someone like, just use common sense because of the fact that, because of the fact that, um, you know, People have relied for too many decades now on what the food industry has told us is healthy. So they've told us that bread is healthy. They've told us that these whole wheat organic crackers are healthy. They've even told us that the gluten-free vegan, um, you know, 100% organic Oreo cookies are healthy or it has healthy oils or it has, you know, so people, I mean, I don't know, like to go out there and to be able to say like, we need to start using our common sense. Like I have no idea how we would ever make the leap from where we are now to a place where people can use their intuition um, and their common sense around food. Because I mean, I look at food and I go, yes, an apple, that is common sense, like eat it. But we have people now that ask me questions like, is it safe to eat, you know, this apple? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, it's really high in sugar or it's really high in, you know, or this is really high in fat, you know, and avocado. So I don't want to eat avocados because it's really high in fat. Um, but they'll take avocado oil and then, you know, or they'll take supplements of, you know, whatever oils that are out there, but they're afraid to actually eat the food. Like we've come to this place where it's like, unless somebody, the bottle says healthy or the package says healthy, they're like not willing to eat it and they're afraid of it. So I don't even know what, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? And like, how do you think we're going to get there? Well, I think, I think it's probably a bit, I don't know, maybe uh, crass of me to say, you know, use your common sense because you're right. It is harder to know what, you know, what's going to be good for you and what's not going to be good for you when you don't have any kind of frame of reference. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think one, one of the things is that you, you really got to stay away from packaged food and even stuff in in you know the natural food stores that say natural uh you know you're gonna a you're gonna spend a ton more money buying all this package stuff because it's got a package you know that's what it is it's got a box and you know it's contributing to the littering of our environment you know even recycling is still requiring energy to recycle something exactly so if you can right like if you can buy uh, vegetables and fruits and um, you know, if you eat meat, you know, buying ethically raised meat. Uh, and if you're vegan, great, because you have less of an imprint on the environment and, and vegetarian, or if you eat fish, but whatever you're eating, you know, kind of move away from, from buying stuff in packages. And that's step number one, I think, because until you start, until you start getting 
you know, living um, the way your body was designed to, to live and move and, and interact with the environment. I think it's very difficult to get any kind of, you know, grounding, right? Like you're not grounded. So when you start spending time in nature, you start moving more, you start getting rid of the things that have sugar and salt. And, and I'm talking about added, not what's naturally in food. Exactly. That, and I'm glad that you raised that point because when we yeah. say sugar and salt, people are like, oh, I need my sugar and salt. Or they say, well, I can't eat sugar and salt. But I'm like, what kind of salt and sugar are you talking about? So it's really important that we really do define that for people. So we're talking about added refined sugar, added refined salt versus, you know, the salt that's naturally occurring in watermelon. And also to differentiate between the different types of salts, because we say salt, but do we mean potassium? Do we need magnesium? Do we mean sodium? Like what kind of salts are we talking about too, right? And so this is where, you know, when I bring this up, even to doctors, when I bring this up, they're like, I'm talking about yeah. salt. I'm like, yeah, but what kind of salt? Do you want people to stay away from? And in fact, shouldn't you be telling them to eat lots of magnesium-rich foods and lots of potassium-rich foods, but yeah. not sodium? You know, you know. But it's so it is crazy. Like it's like, how do people make sense of this? Um, but to cut you off and to jump in there, you also went through a major um, physical and life transformation too, didn't you? Yeah, not quite. You know what? I didn't plan it that way. You know, what, what happened was that I, I got very overweight. And as a guy, you know, I, I don't know, this, it's kind of strange, you know, as a young guy and, and, a, and a guy, uh, well, I'm not young now, but as I was growing up in the and when in my 20s and 30s and even 40s, I was always obsessed with putting muscle on, right? And I think most guys are like that. They want to be big, right? Like that's the word, big. I want to be big. I want to get muscles. Whereas women, they... Uh, in, in the 80s and 90s, it was about losing weight or keeping weight off. And now you get a lot of women who want to be lean. Uh, so I think overall, though, women want to be lean and men want to be big. So I took this big thing to an extreme. I got depressed. I stopped moving. I stopped exercising. I kept eating. And then my taste buds changed. And I started eating a lot of sugar. I started eating. And, you know, it was in what I called healthy foods. And then I started going out a lot and eating out. And that's another thing you've got to stop doing if you really want to be healthy is eating out less, not don't stop it completely. But you know, if you're, if you're going out every day for dinner, that, that's gonna be a bit of a problem because you don't know what people are putting in your food. So when I um, met my current partner, she was in incredible physical shape. And isn't she a bodybuilder? She, she used to be a bodybuilder, yes. Okay. And, and she's just she just leads a very active lifestyle. And you know, if you want to be with a person who's active, well, guess what? You gotta be active. And so what I did was that I just started to follow her around. And sooner or later I figured out, well, if I keep eating like this, I'm not gonna have enough energy. So it just happened slowly. I slowly started to just change what I was eating. And oh my God, did it make a huge difference. The food made a massive difference in how I was able to move. So, uh, you know, I started coming up to Whistler in, um, in September, October. Actually, I think it was later than that. I think I regularly started coming up to Whistler in November and December. Started skiing, which was extremely painful, by the way. If you're overweight, 
Yeah. It's extremely painful to ski because you, you don't realize how strong you have to be to actually hold yourself up on those skis. And so I went from, I've only skied once in my life before. I went from a rank beginner who could, do you ski? I ski. Well, yeah, I ski and yeah, used to snowboard and ski now. Yeah. So, you know, you know, I was snow plowing. I would oh, stand yeah. up. I actually, it was so embarrassing because I went on the, the bunny, the bunny hill. And then I went on my first chairlift. And when I came off the chairlift, the back of it hit my head and I wiped out and I had to stop the whole thing. It was, <laughs> plus I was scared of heights. So I'm sure my partner, Linda, she was going, oh my God, who is this guy? And what have I got myself into? But I went from that in the beginning of January to going up peak chair and skiing down peak chair with, with them. So, which is amazing, which I just, so I love that story that you shared. Like we talked about this a little bit um, when we met and I think that's incredible because how old were you when you went skiing, started skiing Whistler? 50. Yeah, 50. Like that is incredible. And I just love those stories because, you know, it really shows people that, you know what, you're never too old to start anything. You're never too old to change your diet, to learn how to ski, to learn how to write a book or go back to school or any of those things. Like it really is a phenomenal thing. And by the way, I can't tell you how many people we've seen fall off the chairlift, hit their head and the whole system has to shut down until they get back up and get back on their sticks again. So you're not the first to do that. You know, and the funny thing is, I I think uh, when I started the process of of losing weight was last probably April. Mm. Um, I think Linda, you know, I met Linda somewhere in August and I was, so in last April, I was between 240 and 250, somewhere in there. I think when I met Linda, I was still around 230. And I think right now I'm about 180, 181. So it made a big difference. But again, you know, I wasn't focused on, on, Hey, how do I lose more body fat? It's like, okay, well, how do I keep up with this lady that I really care about? I mean, because she still leaves me for dead when we, even when we're walking. I mean, her idea of a walk is like 10 kilometers. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but, but literally that's what she does. She, she'll get up out of bed and then boom, it's like, she'll go run up and down the mountain or hike, walk up and down the mountain. So of course, you know, if I want to spend time with her, I got to follow her. Right. So what I can tell the viewers is, if you really want to be healthy, you have to have people around you in your life that, that support that. It's really hard to lose weight or build muscle or get healthier if the people around you don't want to do it. And because you're going to be struggling and fighting um, people in your, in your immediate vicinity. And proximity is power. It really is. Oh, proximity is power. And, you know, I love that you entered this with the mindset that I want to just spend more time with my loved one. Like I want to hang out with her. I'm dating this awesome woman. And so if I'm going to do that, I need to be able to keep up. But I also love how you had that awareness that in order to keep up, you also needed energy and that the food you were previously eating wasn't going to support that. And so what were the dietary changes that you made then to be able to, you know, give you that energy? Well, um, okay. So uh, Linda cooks a lot. I'm sure I, she won't mind me using her name, but she cooks a lot. And so she wouldn't cook any starch. So the first thing is I stopped eating uh, rice and um, I also stopped eating bread and pasta because she doesn't make that. So we eat vegetables and clean meat. And that's what 
so I ate what she cooked and then I started she was going hey why don't you help out once in a while I'm not going to cook everything so <laughs> then I started learning how to do it then I thought hey this is actually kind of easy and I started doing it at home when I wasn't you know with her and that set everything snowballing and then I started adding in um, supplements strategically just small little things like magnesium and uh, oils like uh, flax and I do flax and olive together and uh, you know just kind of dialed in my program and then I started uh, I used to coach CrossFit for a little while and one of the things that I learned when I was really hanging around all those athletes was that you have to look at your diet in relation to also what your goals are for movement. So mm -hmm. if you're really hard, it's really hard. Uh, if you're training CrossFit or power sports or anything where you're doing a lot of heavy, uh, powerful movements, it's, it's really hard to actually be on a low carb or no carb diet. You, you have to have um, starch in there. You have to have vegetables. Uh, you just don't have enough um, mm -hmm. energy. Uh, on a on a on a low carb diet to fuel that, um, but if you're an endurance athlete, like you're running ultra marathons or you're doing marathons, it's much easier to take all the starch out and and go paleo and and you know I'm not sure, I don't know what the long term consequences of that. The jury's still out, but I know high fat diets and and no starch or you know paleo Atkins all these kind of diets, endurance athletes can do them. But the minute you start wanting to lift chuck weights around and uh, do CrossFit or be a fighter, then you, you're dealing with a whole different ball of wax. So that's what I found, you know, being, being active, I had to modify my diet. Um, or I would just, I would just be, I would wake up the next day and I'd be like a truck had run over me. You know, I've, I'm 50 now. So uh, it, you have to definitely dial it in. And then I started looking back into what I learned about performance nutrition and I started tweaking it a little bit. I mean, the great thing is my partner, Linda, she used to, um, she's an RMT and she has an athletic background um, in university. So she kind of was, was helpful. <laughs> Although, you know, I, I, I debate how helpful, you know, trying to listen to your partner is because there's always that, that listening that doesn't happen. Yeah. And I, so she would tell me a lot of things that I would not do and uh, so all in all though it's been an amazing journey because it's been a partnership you know and I think that I would have never been able to do it if I didn't have somebody there who ate the way that that fueled health and performance and supported what I was doing and then me being the supplement guy I realized oh my goodness wow I've been underestimating the power of diet and movement mm-hmm you know, because you don't have body transformations by swallowing pills. You just will never get that. No. And, you know, one of the things like we talked about the Gerson therapy. So before I go into that, I really appreciate so much the fact that, um, you know, you acknowledge that the people you surround yourself with are just as important as the food you're putting into your body and everything else. And uh, we did a podcast with Andrew Spudfit Taylor. He's the guy from Australia who just ate potatoes for a year. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he did it because he had clinical depression. He was overweight, like extremely overweight. Um, and he had been a former athlete 
and his just depression was he hit rock bottom and he had a two-year-old baby and you know and all of these things like getting no sleep and high cholesterol high blood pressure everything anxiety and so on and he just ate potatoes for an entire year now potatoes are the ideal food to live off of um, they've done so many studies because it's the perfect group of amino acids it's a per which turns into protein in your body it's the perfect fat it's the, you know has all the minerals super high in potassium and magnesium perfect you know salt complex perfect um you know starch complex and so he was able to lose tons of weight eating as many potatoes as he wanted um but that's all he ate for an entire year from 2000 in in 2016 i think it was or 2017 um and now he's like back to you know running and being this beautiful athlete and um and teaching other people how they can turn to food as medicine um but the one thing he says and i say this in all the podcasts is he said if you can't change your friends then change your friends so if your friends aren't willing to you know you know support you in this then you know what? ditch them you can get new friends and a new lifestyle and a new group of people who are going to support this new healthy lifestyle and you know some people will say well you know really ditch my friends that I've been friends with for 30 years. And it's like, you know what, maybe it's, you know, that, you know, you'd like not hanging out with them as much. You can still get together, but get together on your terms, like cook the food that you want to eat and they have to eat it. Right. Don't go to their house and let them cook, invite them over to your house and you do the cooking and you call the shots and where you get together. Like if they're like, let's go on a vacation while well, you're like, you know what? Sure, I'm happy to go, but I want to go to these places that have this quality of whatever it is. Or you have to have so much conviction in yourself that if you are in like, let's say, let's say hedonism Jamaica, and they're like gunning it with alcohol and the worst food possible, then you're able to say like, you know what, I'm going to make good, healthy choices for myself. But that's hard to do. Like most of us, you know, we are social creatures and we get sucked in to the lifestyle that our friends are leading because we don't have the willpower. We don't have the those principles and values that are like literally engraved in stone yet. But the more you do it and the more you see that this lifestyle can benefit you, in fact, that's when the engraving gets deeper. Um, and so one of the, the other thing I wanted to touch on too is, you know, you had mentioned that you had, you know, you were feeling depressed. How, how has that shifted since you've made these lifestyle changes of movement, of your new partner, of eating well, um, all of those things? Well, I think it's, it's helped. I mean, I do still go through, you know, human emotions are up and down. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we get hit with stresses and things happen to us and it's completely natural to feel down and feel up. And so I would, I would say all in all though, my mood is improved because now when I feel a little down or, or get upset, I, I move. So I'll go for a, like I have a, little Boston Terrier. I call him El Chapo because he destroys uh, toys and stuff in my house. So any, any particularly likes business cards. I don't know why, but he loves eating business cards. So I just called him El Chapo, uh, which I don't know. It's, it's Mexican gangster. If everybody knows El Chapo. Um, but uh, you know, having a dog is a really great thing too, because you know, when a dog has to go, you have to go, you got to take them out. And so you're moving. And um, so really I've, I've tried to, to make movement a part of my life and the movement will change what you crave dietarily wise. This is what I figured out for myself. 
having been in really good shape most of my life and then falling off the wagon and going to the other side where I became, I became very overweight and people would look at me and go, Oh my God, like you've got a problem. <laughs> you know, I've never been in that category before. Of, wow. Andrew, what ha happened to you? So, and coming back from that was really hard as you know, at 49 was when I started and you have to move, you know, you can't sit and think your way out of it. You can't, you know, you can't, uh, you can't intellectualize it. You, you have to get into your body and you have to move it and the food and your body changes, you know, your body will create different things. So it, I think that that movement and diet will really power um, everything else and your mood will follow. There was a saying when I was a martial artist, I used to study traditional Japanese martial arts initially. My teacher would say that where the um, mind goes, the body follows and where the body goes, the mind follows. So they had this duality you know, of body and mind. So they would, they believe that the harder you train, the more you loved yourself. And that love came through discipline. Mm. And so you always have to have a profit, right? Every day, just get up and move. And that's why, you know, buying something like an Apple watch or one of these smart watches, such a good idea because it, you can track it and make it a game. And from there, you know, don't worry about the gym and all this stuff. Just move. Just start moving, do really basic things. I mean, I went from coaching CrossFit and doing hardcore Olympic lifts to, you know, I do, yesterday I did, was doing a band workout in, in the forest. So I carried these crazy bands with me everywhere so i still go into the gym once or twice a week but the rest of the time i'm out right i'm out running and then i take these bands with me and wrapping them around trees and stuff and the bands you're talking about like the rubber they're almost like surgical bands you can buy you can get them at like physiotherapy offices and order them yeah. online yeah yeah I, I mean i there's lots of fitness stores you can get them at you can get um physiotherapy you can get the rehab bands but I use the ones that, that you can get for fitness. And so I can work out anywhere. There's no excuse. I keep them in my trunk of my car. And if I get upset or grumpy, even, even when I'm on the road, at the end of the day or at lunch, I can just you know put on my shorts, run, and then go do a band workout. And awesome. I feel totally different, right? So, so it's, again, you've got to have some sort of habit that you do every day. And now, of course... Um, not only, <laughs> it's going to sound really crazy, but not only has Linda got me into skiing, um, but now I'm into golf too. So she's a golfer. So guess what? I was walking around the golf course yesterday. Mind you, I lost some of her balls yesterday. Like, okay, but, but the whole point is, you know, you're doing things together and walking around, even if it is losing partner's golf balls, which are very expensive. Didn't realize how expensive they were. Yeah. And so, again, it's really hard. It's really hard to get fit if your partner wants to sit on the couch and eat potato chips and you want to go out there. You guys will make excuses not to do it. And, and then so a lot of what people try and uh, supplement is actually not the job of the supplement. It's the job of their diet or the job of their exercise program or their relationships because there's a whole field called epigenetics which is the expression of genes and that 
you can't express genes that get turned on uh, and turned off with exercise by swallowing pills and vice versa. You can't express genes that get turned on with diet with exercise. So it's, you know, humans were meant to eat, move, and sleep and procreate and have community. You know, those are the basic things of life, right? Exactly. There's so many things that you've touched on just in that last segment there that are, I mean, really super profound for people. Like number one, don't do it alone. Like, you know, get accountability, get a friend or a partner or whoever it is. And even if you can't get your partner off the couch, then you can find a friend in the community who's going to be your walk, your 6am walking partner, 7am walking partner, 11pm at night walking partner, whatever it is, you can, you know, get out there. Um, You don't have to join a gym. That's another huge thing that you said, because for a lot of people, money is, um, it's hard to come by for a lot of people, whether it's for, you know, good clean food or the supplements. But when it comes to exercise, it's free. It's all around you. And those bands, I just bought three of the bands for my daughter because she's a snowboarder. So she's turned sideways all the time looking downhill. So her back is always out. So, you know, she goes to physio. Well, you know, these bands are incredible because I think all three bands, which are different um, tensions, um, different thicknesses, so they're they're easier or harder to use. I mean, I think they came to like $11 for three bands, like so cheap people. And they roll up into little tiny like ball and you can just shove them in your pocket. So you literally could have them everywhere. And I love that you carry them around. So one of the pieces on that that you touched on is that, you know, you'll hook them up to a tree and you can just start doing bicep curls and you can start doing like, you know, leg extensions with them. But I remember being in, um, where was I? It was either, well, probably Laos or, or Thailand or even India and Nepal. And it's normal to go out into nature and exercise. You would wake up in the morning and see everybody in the park doing Tai Chi. And it wasn't like for us as a Westerner seeing that, you're like, what's going on here? You know, but you know, it's just something people do. Like they incorporate their movement first thing in the morning. They'll do it in public space. It's not, doesn't have to be in a gym. So we can start that culture too. Like I would love to wake up every morning and just like be driving by and see people doing, you know, CrossFit outside or, you know, Tai Chi outside and not think it's a weird thing just to be like, yay, our culture supports movement. Like we need to get to that place where it's not just for the elite who can afford it, but it's free and accessible and it's done in community all around everywhere. Yeah. And that's, that's the key is, is just start moving, do what you can do and your body will adapt over time, you know, and, and if you have special mobility issues or stability issues, then you'll need help getting those addressed from, you know, health professionals. But the main thing is just little baby steps. And it took me while to get back into a place where you know I could you know run for 30 minutes or an hour which I can I can do now I can run for 30 minutes minimum and um, I can bike and I can do basic gymnastic moves again right like but that took a long time (laughs) well I mean eight months uh, yeah, it's not a long time though. That I mean, it might feel like a long time when yeah. you first start. Like, am I ever going to get there? But yeah. it, you can actually get there pretty quickly. And eight months out of your life, compared to like a life of lethargy and sitting on the couch and being unhealthy, I mean, it's really nothing, right? Well, it is. And and you know, when I first started skiing, for example, I was so bad that I couldn't even ski 
like I couldn't, they could, you know, Linda and her friends couldn't even, uh, couldn't even teach me anything because I didn't know what I didn't know. So what I had to do was I went and did a couple of lessons first to get me from completely clueless to absolutely awful. So once I got to the absolutely awful level, then I started hanging around with them. And I was just in so much pain at the end. Of, I mean, you know, the hardest part for me was actually carrying the, the skis to get to the chairlift. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just those things because Linda has this house where she, you know, you ski in and ski out. And so I could, I was so scared to ski out. So I would like sometimes just have to walk, um, walk to the chairlift myself. But the hard part was walking back. I mean, I didn't even have the cardiovascular capacity to carry my skis and poles. You know, uh, it was like 500 meters to 600 meters, I think, to her house. I couldn't even do that. I mean, I would fall on the ground and have to lie down. But that's where I started from. But I just kept going. And, you know, it's hard, right? You want to quit. But I just kept going. I was like, wow, why am I doing this? Okay, I want to create a, you know, a, I want to do this. I, I was doing it for me, actually, because I felt like a trapped in my life. I felt like I worked all the time. And I didn't have any kind of, you know, outdoor community that I was interacting with. And I'd been used to that earlier in life. So, yeah, it was cool. Then when I started to be able to ski, oh, my God, it's like learning how to fly. <laughs> it is. It isn't it? Like, you can just, like, you could do great things. And mind you, I mean, I think I thought I was better than I actually was. So, um but it's a, it's a, it's, you know, the process of mastery, you know, you incrementally learn and you do, and sometimes you move forward and sometimes you move back. Now golf, I'm actually better, but golf is a very frustrating sport as people golf, they know what I'm talking about. You can yeah. work on game and then you can still have a crappy round. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm one of those people who shows up at the driving range the first couple of times with like all their clubs, hugging all their clubs with no bag. And then I would put out <laughs> people would go, would go, who the hell is this guy? I mean, no wonder my partner, Linda didn't want to come with me. She's like, Oh my God, I'm staying away from this dude. And some poor guy took pity on me and started coaching me. And, you know, I'm still bad, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward. Right. But again, nutrition is important and because you know, you're exercising. So, yeah. you know, we, you, so when I, what I would tell people is find something that inspires you. Mm. And, you know, I read a quote, um, I, I read all the time. There was this quote, I got, I, you know, and I'm really sorry. I don't know where I read this or who wrote it, but it was so profound that I just remembered the knowledge. Mm. And I believe it was in, the, it was a TEDx talk that I was listening to. And I can dig it out and find it if, if people really want to. To, to learn or learn this. Like, this researcher that achievement in life is not about what you want. It's about what you expect of yourself. Mm. You can want something, but if you expect that you're not going to do X, Y, and Z required to do it, you're not going to get anywhere. You can want it, but that's all you're ever going to be is wanting. Because mm. if you expect yourself, more of yourself, and you don't expect yourself to follow through, then you're not going to. And I can tell you from, from learning how to ski, I expected 
that I would learn it. That was the only thing that I focused on. I didn't focus on being a good skier. I just focused on that I would learn how to not kill myself. <laughs> I would learn how to go down the, the hills. And um, I expected that I would improve. I think that was the main thing. I, I just expected that I would slowly progress and get it. And if I had any other expectation, I don't think I would have stuck with it. Mm. So, you know, with a fitness program or an eating program, just say to yourself, hey, you know what? I expect that I'll get healthier by doing this, or I'll expect I'll get fitter. But it's just going to take a little bit day by day. You know, it's not going to happen in one day. And, you know, that really falls into alignment with what your martial arts um, teacher as well said is, you know, where the mind goes, the body will follow and the body flows. And, you know, so if you expect that you're going to accomplish something and that you're just going to do it, then of course your, bo your body is going to take you there. Your mind is already there. You've arrived at that place. You see yourself being that skier. And so then every day you're taking, you know, and it and it's not even... Well, it is conscious action, but it's also subconscious action. It's like, yeah, of course, let's go skiing today as opposed to like, no, I'm afraid or I can't walk the 600 meters or it's going to be too steep or too cold. I mean, we tell ourselves all of these things, but if you're just like, no, I'm a skier and I'm going to be a skier, then of course, you're going to say yes to every opportunity to learn how to ski, like signing up for those lessons or, you know, being okay that your, you know, your friends can't even barely get you to the hill. So, I mean, I just think that is... Um, I know my 14-year-old daughter right now, Andrew, would be like, man, you're so sick. You're dope. Like, that's exactly what she would say because, um, you know, she was born basically snowboarding. Like, that's the way it is for Whistler kids. So I think they they have no idea what it's like to for a 50-year-old to um, get up there. And especially if you're overweight and your cardiovascular health isn't great, like, it is so much work to ski. Um, and I know it sounds crazy, but I mean, I remember being... 40 pounds overweight with a baby in my belly and just on the bunny hill with my other kids skiing. So, you know, I was pretty safe and very cautious, um, you know, but I was like, I had that 40 extra pounds of pregnancy and I couldn't even do up my ski pants and I'd just be puttering out there on the skis, like helping my other two little ones. And it was so much like, that was the biggest workout ever. I probably shouldn't have been doing it at that, you know, many months pregnant, but you know, 40 pounds extra on your body, it's hard on your knees it's hard on your heart. It's hard on your liver. It's hard everywhere. Um, and I've also been overweight too when I play tennis in Mississippi because all our food was deep fried and we basically ate at Wendy's before every tennis match. Like our coach would take us there. And, um, and I instantly gained 25 or 30 pounds every time I would, you know, go down there, but then I'd come home for Christmas and um, come home for summer. And I would immediately lose that weight because I had a much healthier eating style up here. But it just goes to show you, like we were training like four to six hours a day for tennis and working out and the diet was not enough. Like the diet was the exercise was not enough to keep me keep the weight off because the diet was so atrocious. Like everything was fried and processed and you cannot keep the weight off through exercise when you're eating that terrible diet. But there's something else that you said earlier and I just have to come back to it because it was so profound. And when I asked you about your mental health, like the depression, and I love that you said that 
you know what, we're human and every day we have ups and downs. And it's so important to not be ashamed of feeling down, but also to recognize when you're feeling down that you do need to take action, right? Sitting in that state, in that darkness, in the depression, in the feeling blue or feeling down, like you don't even have to clinically be depressed to feel those feelings. But the point that you mentioned is that you have to take action and movement is such a profound action. And the studies prove it that right now, currently today in 2019, there is not a single study on antidepressants that show that they work better than exercise. In fact, it's the opposite. We know that even 20 minutes of moving the body works much better than any antidepressant on the market. So it's so important to know that and to start moving when you're in that place. And also just the fact that not to beat yourself up about feeling down because feeling down is just a natural part of being human. From day to day, from hour to hour, you're probably going to have minutes where you feel down. From day to day, you're going to have days when you feel down. From month to month and year to year, you're probably even going to have months or seasons when you feel down, but that's okay. But it's to recognize that you're there and then to take action when you're in that space, which I think is important for people to understand. Yeah. And and really, again, you know, I learned, I learned this next kind of awareness from Linda because she's a master therapeutic counselor as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, are you getting a picture of her? She's amazing. It's really amazing, right? I mean, I would say I would never have become a skier if it was not for her. I mean, I mean, just putting all that gear on is a real pain in the ass in the morning. I mean, that was a workout in itself for me. I was like, oh my God, now I got to walk around in these ski boots and walk down the hill. And I mean, it was just, if it wasn't for her, I would have never done it. Okay, that's where I got to stop you, Andrew, because, um, and just because I also do coaching with my clients. So we're going to do a little bit of coaching right now. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And this is only just from noticing, like, you know, I think you're quite humble. And I think that, um, you know, you gave all the credit to all those people who sat in the boardrooms in Finlandia and saying, you know, well, they did most of the work, but I mean, you were there too. And, you know, you give all this credit to Linda, who I am certain is an amazing human being, mm-hmm. but there's people who are with amazing human beings, but don't show up for themselves and don't say yes to all of these things. And I think you have to give yourself credit for saying yes. So saying yes to putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, saying yes to struggling on with the, I know how hard it is to put on ski boots when you are overweight, um, to saying yes to, you know, being up on the hill and getting hit in the back of the head with the chairlift and having it shut down. So I, you know, I love that you are so humble and gracious in giving Linda all the credit. But what I've heard from this interview is you are truly the magician in all of this because you showed up and just said yes and put yourself out there and overcome your, you know, like you're overcoming your fears. Um, you are, you know, truly, truly magnificent in the sense that you could have been the person on the couch, just eating potato chips, being like, no, I don't want to go skiing, you know, despite having this awesome, amazing person in your life. So just remember that you have to give yourself the credit too. Thank you. I mean, one thing that I thank you very much for the acknowledgement. I really appreciate the awareness and the insight that, that you have um, and the acknowledgement. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is that uh, I actually 
still eat potato chips on the couch. <laughs> so do I. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to stop doing that stuff, but you got to, it's, there's got to be some sort of balance in your life in order for your body to be able to handle it. Right. Like if that's all you're doing, then get in balance. But one thing that I think the mindset that I have that really serves me when I'm around excellent people, and I'm talking about people who are doing things that I want to do, not talking about it, but doing it. So when I'm around people of excellence, I'm a warrior. So I, I challenge myself and I will go through pain. And that's a lot of that is my early training in martial arts. And as an athlete, I, would, I was right in there. I mean, I was a skinny kid that got beat up and stuffed into lockers when I was a kid. And so I started learning how to fight. And when you learn how to fight, there's a lot of pain. But you know what? It motivated me. So now I've got that in me. So, so do you need that? No, not really. I mean, you don't need to you know, have a warrior spirit. That's just the way I kind of frame it. But you do have to expect more of yourself than you're getting right now. So, so if you have that expectation, then whatever you want is within reach. But if you don't expect yourself to get anywhere, then you're not. And I think if, if you can look on TED, on the TED Talks, and look at expectation and just type that into the, the search bar. I'm sure they'll pull that lecture up. And it was pretty amazing. So that's where I kind of saw, hey, so what am I doing with golf now? I'm expecting myself to get better and to be, uh, be able to hit that ball and keep it on the course. I mean, that's my first goal, you know, keep it in between the lines. And, and you know, the other thing that I'm, I'm also working on is to make sure that I uh, can actually walk properly. <laughs> Believe it or not, so yeah. walking is actually a legitimate form of exercise if you do it at a certain speed. And what I realized is that, you know, I have a really weird walk. <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's a correcting the walk, right? So that I can walk with my dog and walk properly. And so anyway, yeah. And, you know, all the supplements and the nutrition all support that lifestyle now for me. So I don't have a problem drinking a little bit of wine here and there. I don't have a problem eating some chips. I don't have a problem eating chocolate, but you know, I just have other things in my life that work for me. Right. Yeah. You do all those other things first. And then those things are just like a little, you know, a bit of a topping that you can do versus um, for a lot of people, the alcohol, the chips, the wine, the processed food is eight makes up 80% of their life, you know, and no exercise. And then they're expecting to get healthy in the 20% of the, you know, time that they give themselves to eat well and to exercise well and to supplement well and to sleep well, but it doesn't work that way. Like we really need to be eating well, sleeping well, exercising well for like 80 to 90% of the time, maybe even 95%. And then that extra 5% is kind of negligible, right? Like we're not going to, um, when we see this in studies all the time, there's always a point when, you know, we hate animal testing, but I mean, a lot of the tests are done on animals, but we do see that, you know, if their, if their diets are predominantly terrible, they're going to end up with disease. If they don't get to exercise 80 to 90% of the time, they're going to end up in disease. But if it's the other way around, they can actually still be healthy and they can still turn off the genes that promote disease and turn on the genes that keep us healthy. So, you know, it's really about wanting to keep those genes, the good or the bad genes on or off, 
90, yeah. like a hundred percent of the time, which really requires 80 to 90% of the effort or 95%. Um, speaking of that, there's a few things I want to chat with, um, chat about, and you've mentioned it over and over again. And I love that you bring it up too, because a lot of people, uh, you know about the Gerson therapy, um, you know, people who've done it. Um, one of the things, mis there's always misconceptions around what the Gerson therapy is. And I think you might've heard that at the orthomolecular health conference, um, you know, the guy saying like, oh, I see people who come in who've done Gerson and they're terrible. And I'm like, well, were they doing full Gerson? And full Gerson means you are doing the food, you are doing the juicing, that the food is cooked and raw and that it's not just cooked and it's not just raw, um, that you're doing the supplementation, that you're doing the liver detoxification. And when you do all four things, it's pretty profound what happens in the human body. The body's detoxifying, it's being neutrified by food, but it's also being neutrified by those um, additional nutrients that you just can't get through food. So you have the supplements and, you know, and then we have hyper nutrification in the purest form that comes from the juices. So that's what the Gerson therapy entails. And that's also what you're talking about as well. It's that when we do all of those things collectively, that's where health comes from. And so I, I love that. Now, on the Gerson therapy, um, there's so much research around which are good oils and bad oils. And you touched on this earlier with the fact that flax oil is not a supplement, it's actually a food, but we use flax oil as a supplement on in the Gerson therapy. So, and I, the reason, this is a whole reason why I wanted you on the show. Um, and I'm so glad that we got to talk about all these other things, but let's talk about flax oil and um, the medical benefits of flax oil in the diet. Oh, this is a really interesting topic because, you know, um, when, <laughs> when I started, I worked with a manufacturer of uh, flax oil products. And, you know, it's interesting, even going to the naturopathic doctors, they kind of still, and I think most of them still think of flax oil as sort of like a second rate fish oil that, hey, if you take, can take fish oil, then you don't need the flax oil. However, what we know from uh, over the years is that, sorry, my dog might bark actually. He's no problem. <laughs> um, so, hey, Chapo, no barking. Uh, so what we know from nutrition, and I actually showed this to CrossFit athletes when we started supplementing them with um, seed oils. And, and I say seed oils because we used flax a mix of flax and sunflower and, and, and other things, but predominantly it was flax seed oil in there. And it, interestingly, the difference in the athletes who are already using fish oil was profound. So from a performance perspective and from a health perspective, it has some very interesting properties. Number one of which is that um, it, if you get it in an unrefined state, which means you know you don't use... Uh, you don't bleach it, deodorize it, uh, and process it so that you convert the molecules into altered molecules. And we're talking about trans, cyclized, double bond shifted, right? These are all the, the, the ways that oils can be harmful for you. And, as you. and as you know that, you know, to turn on bad genes doesn't require that many uh, molecules. So um, from what I remember of my time with Udo, he, him being a, a geneticist, 
said that, you know, to turn on and off a human cell would require, you know, 10, 20, 100, let's say a thousand molecules, maybe. Um, and in each tablespoon of processed oil, you get over a million toxic molecules, a million in a tablespoon of oil. I mean, so explain that to us a little bit more, like how does it go from being fat in an olive or fat in an avocado or fat in, you know, something else to being toxic to us? What's, what's that process in the manufacturing and production of the oil? Well, what you have to watch out for are these oils that claim that they have a high smoking point or that they're good for cooking and they have things like omega-9 or omega-6 or omega-3. Because in order to make an oil shelf stable or um, uh, to, to get it to a high smoking point, you have to process it. So the one that I, people think is really healthy that I tell them to stay away from is grapeseed oil because it's basically processed cooking oil. So any oil that's been heated, uh, that's been uh, deodorized, and that's been um, uh, processed in any way other than pressing is a processed oil. Okay. So these processed oils, the problem with them is you're taking the omega-3s and the 6s, which have these things called double bonds. And these double bonds actually what's what gives them their, their uh, nutritional properties. And they make the oil kind of um, kinky. <laughs> if I can use the word, because saturated fats don't have double bonds. And that's why they're solid at room temperature. But the more double bonds you have in an oil, the more that the oil is liquid at room temperature. So olive oil has one double bond and something like sunflower oil has two and flax oil has three. So the more double bonds you have, the more oxygen that you can um, attract and uh, the, the more you can make the membranes fluid. So the importance of, of this is that the more double bonds you have, like flax oil, the more delicate the oil is to degradation and processing. So you can create a far more toxic oil by processing flax oil than you can something like sunflower uh, versus, and, and something like olive. So that's why when, you, when you're cooking with oil, the one that has that can that can go off the quickest is flax oil because it's it's got those three double bonds. Uh, you can also the next the more delicate is something like sunflower or safflower, and then more stable would be olive, but it's still not advised to heat it. Uh, and then saturated fat is actually the most stable because you know you can fry with it and it's not going to turn toxic. Mind you, it will at some point if you heat it long enough. Right. But, but the health right. benefits of these oils, so the ones that are the most can become the most toxic from heating it um, or processing it in the manufacturing it, are like for example the flax oil because of these. Does it have triple bond or just three double bonds? Three three double bonds. So okay. it's been a long time since I since I've been whipping off the chemistry in my head. But basically, uh, an omega three uh, has three double bonds in the molecule and the there are omega-3s uh, that actually have more. So for example, uh, in fish oil, you have something called icosapentaenoic acid, which is EPA. That actually has five double bonds. Mm. The, and, and the thing is, as you get more double bonds, uh, you also get a longer molecule. So, you know, 
uh, EPA is a much longer molecule too. It's got more carbons and more double bonds than what's in flax oil. But we'll get to that in a minute. So it has a different effect. It's not that it's better, it's a different effect. So the, the, the interesting thing is fat is not only something that carries nutrients like the fat soluble vitamins, but fat also is a macronutrient that you need in large quantities every single day. And so the question is, if, and the number that, that we came up with when we were doing this research investigation was that the literature is saying that on average, a human would need somewhere around 80 to 120 grams of fat a day. I mean, just think about that. And I, and I used to use, when I was lecturing to the naturopathic doctors, I'd say, well, your patient needs about 100 grams of fat a day. If the most that Health Canada recommends you take from fish oil safely is three grams a day, where are the other 97 grams coming from that you need? So that was a, that was a provocative question for them. And so then we worked it out that you get a lot of fat invisibly in food. Mm -hmm. Balance you would add visibly on your food, right? So, so it's, it's kind of neat when you think about fat that way, that it's in food, you can't see it. And the food that you can see that's pure fat, it's either solid at room temperature or liquid. So controlling your macros is actually one of the, the most interesting things um, in controlling health. But again, you know, you don't have to get too complicated. You just stay away from all the packaged stuff because mm -hmm. otherwise you read all the macros on the side and uh, stick with the natural foods. So vegetables have both fat and they have, like you said, amino acids, and they have a huge density of nutrients in them that protect you and help your body function. Um, you know, concentrated proteins, they're less nutrient dense, and starch actually is um, actually quite um, fattening if you eat too much starch and you're not moving. So again, you know, you can adapt you know, you've got more leeway to play around with if you're exercising and you're eating whole foods, you can, you can definitely eat more starch than somebody who's uh, eating a processed food diet. Because it's sedentary. Food. Yeah, sedentary. And, and so it's, it's, it's about, you know, kind of looking at what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you. But fat definitely is one of the things that people get wrong completely most of the time. I mean, there is no such thing as a, an essential carbohydrate, but there are some things as essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And you've got to get those essential fatty acids, just like you need eight essential amino acids. And the other caveat with this is you need a certain amount of calories a day from fat, a certain amount of calories per day from the other, uh, from protein. And you know, you that from non-animal sources too. So the, the, the whole thing is you need energy in your diet. And if you don't have that energy, then you're just not going to be able to do much, right? Think, move. <clears throat> Total. So fat, so fat, what flax oil does that we saw was that it really has this effect on, um, on upregulating gene expression in the body. So, you know, your body uses as a, as a kind of like a set of instructions to do things and it makes the membranes fluid uh, it um, affects um, so many other processes in the body. It can help with fat loss. 
if, you, if you're overweight. Um, the downside with it is that it has to be handled carefully. Mm. And there are some people where, you know, if they have a condition like eczema or psoriasis, you know, doing something like flax oil or you know, any kind of high omega-3 oil uh, might, you know, you might have to take it easy for a little while until your skin condition gets, you know, better. Uh, yeah, but what's interesting about that is because, like I know with Gerson, we use it to treat eczema and psoriasis all the time, and people are allowed to have about two tablespoons of flax oil maximum in the day when they're doing it because it still is a met like we treat it as a medicine, right? Like it is, it is nutrients going in the body, and we need them to be in either a high amount or a low amount or whatever it is. And so, for example, you know, on the Gerson therapy, we need it to be low sodium um, and high potassium and magnesium and so you know when we say low sodium it means like yeah you're not eating you know drink you're not juicing any celery and you don't eat high amounts of watermelon and you don't or cucumber even because those tend to be much higher in sodium the potassium sodium ratio is is um, very different than it is for example like your green leafy lettuces and your potatoes and your tomatoes and all of those things so but what we do see is that the body's ability to use the macronutrients from the Gerson therapy diet, but also all the micronutrients. And what happens is when it turns on these genes um, for health protection, um, you know, and you start rebuilding your mitochondria in your cells, then the body utilizes your food differently as well. And um, one of the things is we do see that people do very well, but I mean, the amount of Flax oil is very minimal to begin with because it is still a medicine. Exactly. And then, and just to give you a reference, I mean, mm -hmm. I was, when I was doing um, heavy, heavy uh, CrossFit, I was doing probably, and bodybuilding, I was doing a tablespoon or, or two tablespoons per, per 50 pounds per day. So I was probably ingesting eight to 10 tablespoons of flaxseed oil as my oh. own. Um, uh, observable fat that I was adding into my diet and that um, actually was a blend of flax and sunflower but I was getting a lot of flax and what I found was that I was getting such a massive effect on strength and stamina uh, and as long as I kept and so the thing with me is my genetics are South Indian so I can get very fat fast so what I found was that <laughs> If I, if I started eating potato chips and, you know, like really concentrated sources of starch, I would actually put on a little bit of fat around my waist. And I found that I had to be uh, more careful, about, even though I was ex exercising heavily, I'd have to be more heavily uh, careful about the processed fats or mm -hmm. processed carbohydrate I was eating. And I didn't have that problem if I was eating, like, you know, if I cooked a yam or made a potato or, you know, it was really interesting. It was only when I would eat those like packaged carbohydrate sources there was something about them that just made me put weight on so i would i would say you know you would you can you know eating more unrefined foods your body knows what to do with it and you start eating all the back just you know it's a crapshoot right and yeah. we don't know, frankly the long-term consequences of some of the stuff that we're doing right now like you know we're, we're probably going to be my generation is probably going to be uh you know, the, the, my parents' generation was the guinea pig for the long-term use of pharmaceuticals. And look what's happening to them. Oh, so, yeah. Right? My generation, I think, is going to be the first one where we're going to see the long-term effect of doing some of these crazy exercise programs and, 
and uh, you know supplements uh, that that were around in the early days, right? So yeah. Uh, so I guess my whole point with flaxseed oil was was in Ayurveda they use a lot of nutritional oils, mm-hmm. and one of the foundation foundational pillars of Ayurveda is actually oil. So they use a lot of oil. They use ghees and they use um, medicated ghees and they use um, nutritional oils to treat diabetes and all sorts of disorders. But the m- most important thing is you, you know, you adjust it to the person. So I like the fact that, you know, you're saying people to take a low dose because you generally have to gradually increase the intake of these, these seed oils up gradually. Um, and it takes about two weeks for the body to be able to transport the oils to the tissues. So you don't really want to whack somebody with a high dose uh, initially. And like I usually start telling people, well, if you're going to use oil, even if it's MCT, you want to start at, at half a teaspoon increments and then see, you know, add it and make sure you add it to food. So you take it with a full meal. Don't just swallow a teaspoon, which I've had people do to swallow a teaspoon and then go, oh, I feel nauseous. Well, of course you are. You don't, you don't eat pure fat like that. <laughs> yeah, no. And yeah, you have to imagine like one tablespoon of flax oil. I can't even remember what it equates to as to the volume of seeds. But I mean, you would never eat that many seeds in one sitting. And so, you know, we say if you're going to use flax oil, number one, you never cook with it. It's a very potent antioxidant as well. So it truly is a medicine. Like it's there scavenging, you know, all those free radicals in your body. Um, It's, you know, very nutrient dense as well. And so I say like, you know, use it for your salad dressings. Um, It's a perfect place to use it because it's going to remain cold all the time. And, um, you know, and then you can use that and drizzle that on your vegetables and your yams and potatoes and, you know, greens and cooked foods and whatever vegetables and fruits you're eating. It's fantastic. You can make dips with it um, as well, um, which, you know, is another great way to use flax oil. Um, You know, we tend to thicken our dips with potatoes. So if you want to make a really thick dip, it's like potato, garlic, flax oil, apple cider vinegar, and any herbs you want. And then you get this amazing dip for your fresh veggies or, you know, cooked veggies. Um, But yeah, no, it's really, really potent. And it's, and we also wean our clients off flax oil at around two to three months on the Gerson therapy as well. So when people say you're weaning us off flax oil, we're like, yeah, like you don't need it once your body is actually not creating as many of those free radicals that are present when your body's in the disease state. So you actually therefore don't need as much of it. Um, but you still, and you, then we rely on a lot of the food to provide you with the, um, you know, short chain and long chain fatty acids that you need because they're there. They're present in romaine lettuce and carrots and beets and potatoes. And, um, you know, so many, I mean, all foods have fat in it. It's a foundation. It's a building block of that fruit or vegetable or grain or, you know, absolutely, you know, or seed or nut or anything that you're eating. I mean, think about where fat comes from. It's by, you know, often cold pressing or press or processing um, the fruit or the vegetable um, or the grain or the nut and the seed. So it's there already in nature. And I think people forget that, right? They're like, oh, I have to get my fats. Yes, it comes from the food. So the best way to consume it is in its whole form. Um, well, that's a good point because, you know, in flax seeds, there's a, a lignan, which is a compound which actually modulates estrogens. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that in the oil. You only get that when you eat the seed. And uh, the lignans are very, very powerfully, um, they're, they're fermented. They're uh, in the colon in mammals. 
and, the, and from the plant lignans, it produces mammalian lignans that actually uh, produce, allow your body to produce healthy estrogens and it can shift the ratio of estrogens in the human body, which is really good for men and women. Yeah. It, so, but you don't get that if you, if you only eat the oil, right? So there's a lot of benefit of, of having the seeds. Um, and one of the things that actually I still eat is I eat a lot of uh, cracked black seeds. Mm. So, you know, I can't mess. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who likes to be efficient. So rather than grinding up all my seeds, I usually buy them uh, cracked from a, a, a company in um, Canada here. And so I just open it, spoon it out into my smoothie and boy, it tastes so good. So the, la so the last thing I'll say about oil is I had a little stint where I was selling this equipment called heart rate variability um, machinery. And it measures the difference between your, your beats. And basically the, the more variability there is between your beats, the healthier you are and the more adaptable you are to stress. That machine also would measure the health of your cardiovascular system by looking at how, um, whether you were like your parasympathetic and sympathetic balance in your nervous system. So your parasympathetic is your, your break and your sympathetic is your accelerator. So you want to have a nice balance because stressed out people, type A people, they're usually sympathetic dominant. They're always on the go and their sympathetic system isn't really um, active. So what happens is that they're not able to relax. And a lot of these people, when I would do the measurement, they would I'd say, oh, you're stressed out. How's your digestion? Because digestion is parasympathetic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, nobody, nobody eats when they're stressed. You, you know, and, and to eat, you should actually put your phone away and eating is about community because that's parasympathetic. So the interesting thing was that the other thing we measured was the health of the vessels. And I have never seen anything that dilated blood vessels as well as black seed oil. It has this amazing ability to actually um, get people's circulation back. Um, it's one of the things that uh, happened really fast, actually. You can see that in days where people would start taking uh, seed oil uh, with flaxseed and bang, you know, they're, they're, um, they'd have warmer arms and warmer legs because, you know, if you're not getting that blood to the extremities, you know, that's a problem. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, flax oil has like, you know, from what I've read um, about it um, extensively is that it, you know, has over 200 different, you know, healing properties, everything from, like you said, dilating the blood vessels to transporting nutrients across cell walls as well. So for the absorption of nutrients um, to being able to, you know, trap free radicals to providing you with that high omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. I mean, um, to balancing out your estrogen. And, you know, when we talked about estrogen, it's so important to know that most cancers are estrogen dominant cancers. So they love free floating estrogen in the body. That's what helps to feed, um, literally feed cancer. So you don't want to have free floating estrogen in the body. You need something to help balance that. And so, I mean, the flax oil is important to the liver. It's important to, I mean, almost every organ system in the body because it's important to your blood vessels and your blood vessels 
travel through all parts of your brain, like your eyes and the membrane of your, you know, the brain and your joints and your ligaments. And I mean, everything gets fueled by these blood vessels right to your extremities. So people who have rhinoids as well, you know, if, when you start taking flax oil, what they'll tend to see is their fingers are no longer, um, usually it's their middle finger and their ring finger will turn white because there's basically no blood flow circulation going there. And so then, and you need circulation to your fingers, like super important people. So you can, you know, start to battle that by just simply taking, making sure you have really, you know, good flax oil in your diet as well. Yeah, as well. It, exactly. It's, it's really important. And, you know, the important, and the other thing too, is that, you know, people say, oh, well, I'm taking the, I'm going to take the flax oil, but I'm not going to get, it's not going to get converted into the long chain omega-3s. And I said, well, it won't get converted if you eat a lot of sugar. Yeah. Since artificial sweeteners, which are, um, which inhibit the enzyme that called the delta-6 desaturase, which breaks down, uh, which actually elongates uh, the flax oil um, omega-3 into EPA and DHA. So if you're eating a diet very high in refined omega-6s or sugars, you'll inhibit that conversion. So the whole more, it all comes back to your food choices. So if you're eating healthy food, you're not going to have that problem of getting synthetic sugar or artificial sweeteners which are the two worst, and then a high omega-6 diet, um, which really is a, is a marker for toxicity, is um, what omega-6 is if you're getting it from uh, processed food. So, so this, you know, there's a whole, there's whole arguments on this fatty acid ratio, which I dove into when I used to go to these uh, fatty acid conferences every two years. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not up on the, on the latest research or the last six years, but it's still in the literature. Like when I, when I look at the literature now, there's still this argument over what's the best ratio and what's the best form to take. But remember, you know, when you start using these oils in off the teaspoon, even they're, they act like they're very powerful. Um, and you've got to treat them with respect. And like you say, you take people off it and try to get them on food after a certain period of time. Uh, you have to really know what the product is doing in order to use it effectively. I think I use it as a as an ergogenic aid uh, to improve my my stamina, um, but it it does come with a risk of higher oxidative load. So you have to have a lot of free radicals um, or a lot of antioxidants in your diet to counteract the free radicals that you could form mm -hmm. if, if you don't. Yeah, no, exactly. And so I think to sum it up, I mean, really what we've been saying this whole entire time and what you've shared with us is the fact that we need to have the exercise in moderation. We need to have a healthy diet, unrefined. Like it's really, you know, that is the starting point, an unrefined whole food diet, um, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and some grains in there. Um, and then when you have that, and then you supplement with these additional things that do come in the bottles, that's when you're going to see ultimately the benefit from it. And then of course we have to be looking at the community that we surround ourselves with. So the people in our life, um, and then, you know, sitting down to eat without technology, um, respecting our food and then um, and then that's when you get the benefits from these additional supplements whether it's in the form of flax oil or you know any other macronutrient or micronutrient that you might take um, in supplement form um, then that's when you truly see the benefit it's when it all comes together and that's when you have optimal health and you're able to lose weight 
have energy to do the things you love to do, like play golf and go skiing yeah. and, and do those things. Yeah. And that's the whole thing is you just adapt your, your diet, first of all, to heal you. So you've got to be healed with your, your diet and your movement program. And then from there, you can focus on, okay, well, now what do I want my body to do? What do I want to do with this life? Do I want to travel? And so what kind of health do I need and physicality do I need to support that? Because if you cannot move, I promise you, your quality of life will decrease dramatically. It does not matter how much money you have. And it, you, if you cannot move, you're going to be immobile. Your quality of life will suffer. Because what are the two things as you grow older that you fear the most? Number one. Falling. Uh, not, falling, yes. And you know, fractures are the number one killer of elderly, of, of not seniors, but elderly. Mm -hmm. uh, and number two is that if you lose your mind, somebody else is going to have to make decisions for you. And I would say losing your mind and losing your mobility are the two things that will cause you to lose your quality of life and your independence. And so we, we want to support that with diet and movement. And so this is where it gets kind of tricky is that if you're already in that place of degeneration, to get back requires professional help sometimes. Yeah. And once, if you're healthy and you don't have any, serious issues then the job's a little bit easier you, you could you might be able to do it yourself and then go to your doctor or a naturopath to get a checkup on a regular basis to see where your objective and subjective health markers are right yeah so it's all right no exactly and i think that is an amazing place to leave it for today because of the fact that um, I always say this, every time we get into these interviews with brilliant people like yourself, I mean, we can talk for hours because there's so many subjects to cover. Um, it's so much information, but I think you did an incredible job today of really just showing people that um, it doesn't have to actually be that complicated, right? Like we move our body every day, we eat well, that'll lend itself to good sleep. Um, and then from there, your quality of life improves and then you can make just better decisions for your life around everything else. Um, yeah, thank absolutely. you for doing it. It was fantastic. I appreciate the knowledge you have and the passion you have for helping people. I think uh, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I don't very rarely do interviews. So I was really happy to come on when you offered it to me. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And I hope you enjoyed that episode with Andrew Luna Wira. All of the tips that he provides in there, they are real tools that you can use to turn your life around. Really, truly, eating foods that do not have packaging on it, eating foods that are nutrient dense, that are the whole food, so not just apple chips, but eating the whole apple. These are all the things that we need to consider if we're gonna turn our health around and if we're gonna end the chronic disease epidemic. What Andrew did is amazing because, you know what? He's not a young, young buck, like in his 20s that has, you know, all of the time in the world to just sit back and, you know, figure out what he needs to do and implement it. You know, when I was 20, I was able to experiment with a whole bunch of things. And really, for the first 30 to 40 years of our life, we get a free pass. But once we hit 40, there's no more free passes when it comes to our health. Either you get your junk together. Um, I was about to swear there, but my daughter's in the next room. But truly, 
you have to pull it together and you have to start using common sense, which is what we talked about in this episode. So common sense means that, you know, reading 20 different blogs that tell you 20 different things. And if those things involve doing stuff like eating this crazy Brazilian, you know, product that you can only get in the Amazon is going to make you lose weight, feel better, get healthier, etc. Or, you know, that there's a magic pill somewhere. Your common sense now should tell you that there's no magic pill. For millions of years, we as humans on the planet, we have eaten whole foods that are predominantly plant-based and that have really, that's been what has driven our health as a society. Yes, we had Western medicine come in and they're able to go in and fix your heart valves. They're able to go in and give you medications to lower your blood pressure. But just because your blood pressure gets lowered by the medication does not mean your body is healed. If you were to take those medications anymore, you would have high blood pressure and put yourself in a serious condition and state. So what can actually truly lower your blood pressure where you don't need the medications are plant-based whole foods predominantly. Now, though we teach a vegan, gluten-free, you know, SOS-free lifestyle, what we're ultimately teaching is a nutrient-dense, 100% organic, because you don't need the toxins in your body. Common sense should tell you that, and I know you know that. What we need is nutrients in diversity, in abundance. And when we take those in through these plant-based whole foods, or if you do eat a little bit of meat, do it like our ancestors did it. The Paleolithic era that's been the wrong information perpetuated in the media to say that our ancestors ate tons of meat. Nowhere has that been found to be true. Now people will say that in the north, in the, the Inuit eat a lot of meat and a lot of animal fat. Yes, but they are in considerably different situations than we are, where they're trekking for long distances across vast territories. They're freezing in these environments. Um, they have a different metabolism. But if you look at the science, you'll also see that they die 10 years earlier than most Canadians and they have a 50% more chance of dying from a stroke or heart disease. Um, so these are some of the things that you need to understand and really ultimately common sense would tell you that if we were just to eat animal meat and if just to eat animal fat, you probably had a lifestyle where you've eaten lots of packaged food, lots of animal products, and we know that you haven't felt well because I've met with thousands of clients and they say the same thing. The time in their life when they felt the best is when they were eating predominantly fresh foods in their whole form, tons of veggies, lots of greens, and it's ultimately when they had the most energy and the most vibrancy in their life and when their health was the best. So take in Andrew's points, um, be inspired by the fact that he started skiing later on in life, that he was able to do that. He started golfing later on in life. He was able to lose the weight even after, you know, being in a time when it's easy to become sedentary as we hit the age of 40 and 50 and 60, and it doesn't have to be that way. So I hope you're inspired by this show. Please let me know if you've incorporated any of Andrew's tools, tips, tricks, habits and if that made a difference in your life and if you enjoyed this episode please share it with others in the meantime go to our website find out about our upcoming retreats grab a copy of our book eat real to heal so you can start implementing these lifestyle changes today so you can turn your health around